It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from lovely Gilbert, Arizona, where it's a balmy 81 degrees today. And I know that it's warmer than where our guest is coming from, but we'll let him tell us about that here in just a second. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you want to know what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we are a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. And what I mean by that is Landon, my co-host, and I are small business owners. We have some other partners of the program, Ryan Weissmuller and Gary Braun, who are also small business owners and co-hosts from time to time. And we believe that small business uh, owner and small business owners throughout our country are truly the backbone of the American economy. So we put together this podcast about a year and a half ago. We're coming up on our 100th episode as a way to prop up the small business owner. And we also believe that as part of that, that we should be working with nonprofits. A lot of businesses set up nonprofits as well and, and do a lot of good in the community. And so today we wanted to invite somebody on the program to talk about how to set up a nonprofit, as there are many business owners that may be listening today that think that it would be a good idea to set up a nonprofit and, and to give back in a way that's important to them. So with that, we brought on Christian LaFair, who is founder and CEO of instantnonprofit.com. And he's coming to us live from Centennial, Colorado. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Yeah, we're excited to unpack this conversation and talk a little bit about, obviously, what you do in the nonprofit world and, and how you got started. But before we jump into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about you personally, what you like to do, maybe uh, tell our listeners about that uh, cast on your right arm and, uh, and how we kind of make silly decisions sometimes as we get older and feel that we uh, are still relatively young. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's a little bit to cover. So we're in Centennial, Colorado today, uh, just a suburb of Denver. I'm actually in Cherry Creek, which is just a beautiful uh, retail shopping district. And uh, we have been alternating here in, in Denver from blizzards to 60 to 70 degree weather. And we have another blizzard coming up on Saturday and it's 70 today. So that's kind of been the way things have been working here. And that's a great segue to the cast. I took my 19-year-old son snowboarding. We finally said, we're going to do this this year and started learning on powder. I'm learning to snowboard at 53. First, first time in the powder, wonderful. Kind of got, got a groove on even. And uh, decided I was going to check the box on a day that I just probably knew I shouldn't on a day that was hard pack. And since I'm learning, I didn't realize that you can get all the way down the hill, but if you stand up and go neutral on the way to the lift on that hard pack, you're going to pick up some speed and you're also not going to be on an edge. Your board may rotate and you may catch an edge and go down hard on the, uh, on the backside. And that's exactly what I did. I instinctively uh, put my hands out and had a, got a minor fracture 
hairline fracture, but it's feeling good. And I'm able to drive some nails with this baby. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, you're, you're speaking to uh, a long time snowboarder. So I, I do remember it's been a long time since I've caught an edge like that and hit the ground hard, but uh, you know, I've been snowboarding since about 1989. Wow. Uh, if that any indication, you know, the first snowboard that I had had a triangle front on it, not a rounded front the way that <laughs> snowboards are built today. So it's been a long time for me. Yeah, yeah. That's like talking to one of the uh, guys who was like surfing in the 50s on a two by six or something. That's like way back. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, my my uh, father-in-law, who's an engineer, retired engineer by trade, he was a Boy Scout leader for a long, you know, large number of years. And, and one of the things that they did with uh, his Boy Scouts is they built their own surfboards. And so we, we have, actually, I'm not sure if it's here or not, but my wife has kind of laid claim to that snow or to that surfboard, uh, when he passes away that he built, but I will tell you, it's not light, right? I mean, I have a surfboard too, and it's, you know, it's only six foot one, I'm five foot nine, maybe five ten on a good day. Um, and I can, you know, I can carry it with my two fingers. It's so light, you know, the fiberglass, but my father-in-law's surfboard that he built, it's, you know you're carrying it with both arms. It's, it's heavy. And probably much longer than six, that six feet is a small board. Yes. Yes. It's a much longer board for sure. Probably so. a test to your skill on a, on a board. That you <laughs> surf nice well, maybe, yeah, maybe it's really just more a, a test to how much I used to weigh because <laughs> that, that snowboard is, uh, or excuse me, that surfboard is, uh, oh gosh, it's probably 22 years old. I probably bought it about maybe 20, you know, in the year 2000 ish somewhere around there. I would, when I first got into the business that I'm in, uh, as a wealth manager, we, we would go snowboarding in the morning before going to the, or excuse me, surfing in the morning before going to the office. I lived in Orange County, California. At the time. Oh yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Tell us about your family. You said that you've got a 19 year old son, but tell us the rest of the story there. Yeah. I have a 19 year old son, a 17 year old son and a 15, uh, 14, about to be 15 year old daughter. She was one of our uh, therapeutic foster children who we fell in love with and we managed to snag one and, and keep her around a little bit longer. So yeah, three kids, um, love the outdoors, love to explore, starting to travel a little bit more than, uh, than we have in the past. And just, I love places like Moab, Utah, so watch the sunset kayaking off of Tampa, off of Anna Maria or Anna Marie Island in, uh, in Florida. So getting around a little bit, but doing a, a good number of reps in the office here, but I have such a beautiful location. I'm able to get outside and walk and enjoy the beautiful Colorado sun, even while I'm here at the office. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great. I mean, it, we love to get out and travel too, and, and do some of those things. Mo Moab's actually one of my favorite places in the world. One, because I like to, to mountain bike, but two, I also have a pretty badass that's what i'm going to call it pretty badass off-road machine i've got a first generation toyota 4runner that's just built to the max for, for driving all those trails out there in moab oh that's a great vehicle yeah i'm an avid dirt biker and uh that's what i love to do in moab but uh surprisingly i mean my my motto in in sports has been anything with wheels i love i rollerbladed a lot uh years past skateboard dirt bike, street bike, whatever it is. And 
interestingly, I hadn't really taken the opportunity to learn to mountain bike because I just, I love to have a, a gas powered engine between my legs and, and go a little faster. But I really got an appreciation for mountain biking the past couple of weeks. I bought a used Turner. And if you're familiar with Turner, Turner, the, the man, developed the articulated suspension for Specialized when he was there. He actually had to lease back, uh, get, pay royalties back to Specialized when he started his own company. But the Turner is known for this incredible uh, level of articulation and no squat uh, when, you're, when you're going up hills. The, the suspension is just beautiful. So I have really grown to love mountain biking as well. So maybe we'll have to hit Moab sometime. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Well, you, you mentioned rollerblading. I don't, I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> maybe if I turn this light off real quick. You see that? That scar right there? That's, uh, that's from over-rotating on a launch ramp on rollerblades when I was 17 years old doing a backflip and had a compound fracture. Wow. Yeah, that's a little worse than what I've got. But uh, hey, I'm glad you stuck with it. Yeah, well, it happened to be during the 4th of July parade. So hundreds and hundreds of people got to witness that happen. But it's I'm an adrenaline junkie. So I, I raced motocross too. So I certainly understand having a having a motor between your legs and and what that uh what that does for your adrenaline. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about instant nonprofit. I mean, I think everybody kind of, you know, has has heard the term nonprofit. People think about starting a nonprofit. Others, you know, are involved in nonprofits, but I think if you switch and rather than use the word nonprofit and you say 501c3, then all of a sudden people are kind of lost and they're not quite sure that that means nonprofit, et cetera. So just kind of start from the beginning. What was your first experience with the nonprofit world? What makes you, what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do? Yeah, what, what I like to, and I can't turn this battleship around with, with just my tiny little rudder uh, all at once, but what I like to do is call these for-purpose organizations. Nonprofit does not mean that these organizations, these business entities, and it is a corporation, it's a corporate business entity, it's just a different type. Uh, there is nothing about them. As a matter of fact, it's a misnomer and an unfortunate idea sometimes in this sector that you're not going to bring in more than you uh, expend every year or that somehow people can't get paid and that these organizations shouldn't be fully functional and generating value in all directions, the recipient to the donor itself, themselves and to the people who work at the nonprofit, make the wheels go around. All of those places are just like business opportunities to create massive value in the world. So that's why I go with for a purpose instead of nonprofit. But when people talk about nonprofits in the U.S., they're generally speaking about a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, tax-exempt nonprofit. And so this happens at two levels. You have you incorporate at the state level uh, in the U.S. Of course, the state is where any business is chartered, LLC, corporation, uh, or, or non, non-stock, nonprofit corporation. And then the federal level is where you get that IRS 501c3 tax status. And where 501c3 comes from is the Internal Revenue Code, IRC, Section 501, et cetera, et cetera. And there are about 15 different, 12 to 15 different 501 type organizations, 501c2, 3, 4, et cetera. And so, for example, 501c6 is a, is a chamber of commerce type group. It limits the benefits to the members of that group. Money, the donations are not tax deductible. 
and I could go on with the other types, but what's most important to understand is that generically, when we are speaking about a charity, a charitable organization, a nonprofit, a 501c3, those all generally encompass the same thing, which is a nonprofit corporation with the IRS tax status bestowed onto that organization. And 99%, 97% of 501s out in the world are 501c3s. And that's where you get the tax deduction for the donation. And that's also, of course, they are all exempt from corporate income tax. There are other nuances we could get to here, but this is not Black's Law Dictionary uh, podcast. This is Tycoons of Small Business. And so let me share quickly how I got into this crazy world, because it is a rabbit hole to jump into. You know, when I was eight years old, my, my mom had, I lived in North Jersey, uh, I'm out in the woods. We lived in a little log cabin where there's now a massive mall called the Rockaway Mall. We, I was riding bikes with my friends and my mom called me inside and she sat me down and, and said, I just got back to the doctor uh, from the doctor with your little sister, who's almost four. She should be speaking and you know, everybody sort of knew this at this point. She should be verbal by now. And the reason that she's not, we've discovered, is that even though she appears to be just like all the other kids, very emotionally in tune, there's nothing physical going on, just looks like all the other kids, she's special and she's going to be a little bit different in her development. And I said, well, that's great, mom. You know, I don't have any other sister to compare her to. She's fine with me. And I kind of ran back out to play with my friends. But that made me grow up with a different appreciation for uh, kids of special needs. And in fact, uh, I got in a, my only fist fight in third grade was when some kids were making fun of special kids in the hall. Little did I know that that seed had been planted when I was uh, eight years old. And you know, this was starting to manifest in the world that I really felt it was important to protect the underdog, protect people who couldn't speak for themselves or fend for themselves. And fast forward all the way to around 2010, when I went to start a nonprofit with some friends of mine, I said, well, you know, you guys go, go build a website and go raise some money and I'll, I'll do this application. I mean, how hard can it be? And little did I know when I called the IRS, I was so proud. I had kind of assembled all the documents and I called the IRS and just said, you know, what's my best bet on, on moving this thing forward? Of course, they sent me a form letter uh, upon submission and said, oh, it's going to take a year. I was morally outraged. So when I sent in that package, before I sent in that package, I was just thought this was ridiculous that people who want to help people like my sister would go through all kinds of hell, possibly pay thousands of dollars to an attorney who probably doesn't do nonprofit work all the time. Anyway, I've seen major mistakes from attorneys on this process and, and have this ridiculous weight versus starting any other business. And I just thought of my sister who is still my favorite human in the world. I just spent last weekend with her. And if you throw the ball to my sister, I mean, she is your best friend for life. So what I did was I took that agent's phone number and I changed the last couple of digits and I just dialed 20 or 30 extensions north and south of that phone number and begged, pleaded, and cajoled with anyone who'd pick up the phone because I knew that they were probably in the IRS exempt organizations department. What, why does this take so long? What makes a nightmare file? What makes your day? What makes you able to punch out to lunch early and just stamp something approved? And so I curated this process from that series of conversations and turned it into what I call the love letter to a bureaucrat. 
you know, if Selma Hayek was an IRS agent and I just wanted her to run away to to Fiji with me forever, what kind of file would I hand her to impress her? It would have a table of contents and watermarks and just be the easiest thing to get through so that in fact, she could have one less messy file on her desk and punch out to lunch early. And I realized that I wasn't just out to solve my, uh, you know, my problem with my application. I was out to actually out to solve their problem as well and do some of their job for them. And lo and behold, in the face of a one year uh, average approval time at that point, I got back my approval letter in 45 days and I was just blown away. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a lot to unpack. One, it sounds like you've got a type, Salma Hayek. I'm not sure how she feels about, you know, page dividers and watermarks and all that. So I don't know if that's <laughs> going to get her excited, but I'm with you on Selma Hayek. She's definitely an attractive woman that I would love to spend some time with in Fiji or anywhere for that matter. But, um, you know, I, I think that it's it. what's interesting to me about what you just went through and, and the process that you went through to get to where you got to is similar to a lot of business owners, right? You're a business owner just because you're working in the nonprofit space. You know, your business is a for-profit business, but there's there's story after story after story about how these entrepreneurs figure out a way to fix a problem. They don't just say, oh, well, I mean, the IRS says it's going to be a year and they're going to send it back to me and I don't have to fix this and I'm going to send it back. And then they're going to send it back again and say, fix this. You didn't accept that. You went through and you said, okay, here's her phone number. Her last two digits are 22. So I'm going to go to 212019 and just keep calling through to people and start asking these questions to see what I can do to make this a better process in the future, which I think is awesome. Yeah, it really is. You know, I thought about, and, and I use Selma Hayek because it's a funny example, but if, if you wanted to be best friends with somebody who's super process oriented and you were going mountain biking with them, you'd probably give them a really dialed in itinerary. We're going to go to Moab. We're getting this hotel. We're going to go to this place. Here's where we can get our supplies and our, our extra tubes and tires, et cetera, right? You're going you're gonna to create an order out of that. And so this was little did I know I was, I was going from blogger to businessman because someone in town who wanted to start a local private school came to me, heard that I did this and came and they said, we have a, someone who just sold their company for a billion dollars, over a billion dollars to a major corporation that we've all heard of, tech company. He will fund this school if we can get kids in for this this school year in, in September. We were talking about a seven seven week window, and they asked me if I could do this, and I said, "That's wow." Now I would really this was one thing when it was my own application. Now I have to put this to the test. But again, I felt like the goal wasn't just to help them. It was could I appeal to that bureaucrat on the other end by showing them a little love, by showing them that I understood the process and how many messy files they must have on their desk. So uh, that's how I designed the file was to appeal to them. And then I designed a process to appeal to the average user, the customer who does not want to fill out their name 17 times on a various, various forms. And so by paying attention to others, right? And, and really to me, great marketing, ethical marketing is really showing love to others. It's putting yourself in other people's shoes and then empathizing with their experience so that you can then, in this case, I'm in control of that, that experience, whether it's the customer or the bureaucrat, and you can dial that 
And by having that attitude, I was able to solve problems on both fronts. And I did end up pulling off that application approval. That billionaire did end up writing the check to that school. And I actually put my own kids in that school as a result shortly thereafter. And that was the real test. Because it's one thing when you can do something for yourself. But after a sleepless night, worrying about whether I was going to have these disappointed kids or disappointed friends, uh, I just couldn't. I couldn't pass up that that challenge. And I said, well, even if I have to drive to the IRS, I will get this thing through in, in a short time. That's when I kind of flipped into realizing I could provide a great service and remove these bureaucratic barriers for the greatest people in the world who are, I believe our customers are necessarily good people because they're raising their hand and they're not on Instagram saying, I'm a good person. They're volunteering to put themselves out there and make a difference for other people. And that was what was so exciting to me. It's like, wow, there's an entire world of these people. If I could remove this barrier, how much more good could be done? Yeah. I think that's a really cool story. Obviously, you know, setting it up for yourself and then doing it for somebody else. And that's when you said, okay, now maybe I've got a business here, but it's not one of those, the rest is history, right? Like, okay, you've done it twice. You figured out a couple of things, but now what was the next step? What did you do from there to say, okay, I'm turning this into an actual business and here's how I'm going to go about doing that. Well, we're, we all have different personality styles and profiles and, you know, so you're familiar with Myers-Briggs. You may be familiar with something called the Colby and man, I am a number 10 on the Colby quick start. I'm pretty low on fact finding. I don't need a lot of info. You can just, you know, send me out the front door. I will find a bus. I will put people on the bus, may not have all the fuel to get there or lunch, but we are, we have the party lights on and we are moving out of the driveway on two wheels. So the first thing I did was I started blogging about what I was doing and just, you know, letting it be known that I've sort of discovered this thing. And one by one, some of these customers came in. I didn't know how much to charge. I didn't really have a process, but I realized that if I could uh, iterate as I go and make the process easier and easier for me, easier and easier for them, and then continue to deliver this sort of love letter to a bureaucrat format with the IRS, I, I might be on to something where you, you put the, the engine and the transmission and then the tires on. You can actually, at first, you only get to the edge of the driveway or it's really slow and painful. And then over time, you can build the Indy car. But I am very much a quick start. So I, I love to try things in live fire. And if you hand me, you know, if you hand me a surfboard and we go out to, to Orange County together, I'm not going to want to, you know, I'll, I'll get a couple of pointers and then I want to be in the water. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's pretty typical of entrepreneurs, right? And, and it's also why a lot of entrepreneurs end up having to hire really smart, good executives around them after the fact to kind of run the day-to-day operations of the organization. So that's right. Let's, let's get a little bit of a history lesson. So what year was that when you did it for the, for the school? Oh, that was probably around 2010 or so. 2011. Okay. So we're about 12 years in now. Where are we? Like how many of these have you, have you set up? What does it look like, you know, from a day-to-day, how many employees do you have? Did you bring in an executive to kind of help shore up those operations or are those things that you've learned along the way and, and figured out how to, how to do it yourself? Yeah, there's a lot of lessons that are being learned. And even after 
a while, one, one recent lesson I'll share is, yes, I did bring in uh, operational people because usually if you score a 10 on the quick start, you, you can't score a 10 on everything. So if you are a creative, if you're an implementer, you know, and, and you want to get out the door and, and make things happen, you don't necessarily, you're, you're not the type to close every loop and, and tie every loose end up. And with a complex process like this, there are probably 26 discrete steps in the process to starting a nonprofit. There can be a lot of open loops or variables, right? So you want to, you need to have contingencies for a lot of these. And that's where somebody that I have an excellent operations manager right now. And of course, you have to look for people very different than you. If somebody, if I get along with somebody on, you know, on minute one, and I see that they have personality traits like me, probably not a good hire for customer service or operations, but would be awesome with, with sales or with seeing some new opportunity that, that we might have. And then um, you, you asked about, uh, you know, my, my journey, my path. And so we've done, I mean, with little bits and pieces, with the downloads, we have awesome tools and, and I'll provide your listeners with a way to get lots of free things, kind of put themselves on the hero's journey. Where are, where are you? And then practical things like how do we come up with a name and how do we decide if, you know, if, if we have a mission put together, uh, we have a whole bunch of resources to help with that. But what we did was we started doing these and just, you know, move forward, develop the process. And we've done bits and pieces through our downloads and helps of tens of thousands of nonprofits. We've done from end to end where we have cut chain of custody of the entire process, probably knocking on the door of about 4,000 charities at this point. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. All right. So I want to talk specifically, but let's uh, about a business owner who's, who's running successful business and says, you know, why would I start a nonprofit? Or maybe they do know they want to start a nonprofit and, you know, aren't sure how to take that first step. But before we jump into that, let's take just a quick second Let's hear a, a quick call to action for our listeners, and then we'll come back and unpack what a business owner would do to get started with a nonprofit. Absolutely. If anyone wants to learn more, whether that's placing yourself, like I said, on that hero's journey, we all are living inside that hero's journey model, right? That Joseph Campbell in the 60s realized that all epic stories follow a formula, even whether it's the epic of Gilgamesh from the Middle East or other Aboriginal texts, ancient texts even ones that couldn't have communicated with each other, they all follow this, there are formulaic elements to it that I believe every human experiences in their own life. And it's kind of the call to action, the activation, right? Going into the rabbit hole, discovering, finding the ring, uh, leaving the shire, going through all the stuff, friends come to help. And then there's some wisdom or transformation that the person experiences on the other side that is then brought back to everyone, throwing the ring in the fire of Mordor, finding that peace in my own life that I'm able to give to my kids through a really tough time I've been through. So we try to help people assess kind of on that meta, almost spiritual level, right? Where am I in my life? And why would I want to have this? I would have this call inside me to do something beyond just make another paycheck or grow my company a little bit bigger. Then we get, uh, and that's kind of far up the ascension ladder, I call it. So if you start at the practical on the, on the opposite end, your listeners can go to instantnonprofit.com slash tycoons and download all kinds of free resources, get a 10-day boot camp where we go through everything you need to know before you start the nonprofit. 
or schedule a strategy call and just riff on where you are and how this might work for you because there are a lot of different reasons to start a nonprofit. So instantonprofit.com slash tycoons. And in the strategy session, we can go over things like some of what I call the quantum entity, right? Why is a nonprofit sort of a portal or doorway to a whole new area in your life? And I can give lots of explanations about how a nonprofit can not only grow your ability to fulfill your purpose in this world, and maybe that call, that thing that's been bothering you, you went on a missions trip and did this service once and you've never forgotten it. Or maybe you're already, in many cases, people are already doing something really cool and now they're being called to do it on a, on a greater basis or a lot of our customers call and say, I've been spending money on feeding these dogs and finding them foster families. And I just can't do this without having people be able to donate to it tax deductibly, et cetera. So whether you're doing the thing or it's just a call on your heart or whatever, we can help place you and give you some context on how to understand where you are in that journey. And then how to take the next step because this thing can seem really big and overwhelming and it doesn't need to be, it can be very, very simple. Then when somebody does take that step forward, we have an absolutely done for you process that we take you through that helps you to stay focused on your mission. Awesome. I think that that's a great call to action for our listeners. And I obviously really appreciate the fact that you put it together specifically for us and and our listeners where, you know, like you said, that, the address again is instantnonprofit.com slash tycoons. And then I want to take just a quick break and, and we're going to play our call to action for those listeners who may be interested in being a guest on the program. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back to the program. We're here with Christian LaFerre of instantnonprofit.com, and we've already kind of unpacked quite a bit about uh, his journey, how he got started in this nonprofit space and, and what it is that they do and, and how difficult of a process it can be sometimes. And so, you know, Christian, let's go from here and, and talk a little bit about how you guys are, are different from, say, a lawyer who may be able to help them set it up or even competitors that you have in this space. What makes you guys unique and and, uh, different in this space? What I believe makes us different in this space, and it's it's a really important distinction to make, is we don't simply take the, the existing process and charge a fee and then put you through the existing process. The re- there's a reason that people find this incredibly difficult and that many uh, thousands of people by our uh, estimation. There are about 70,000 501c3s created uh, each year. We believe there's probably you know, 2x or an additional 70,000 people per year just running into roadblocks with bureaucratic process. We have people who incorporate or are sold, unfortunately, online. We'll start your nonprofit for $49, $249, whatever it is, and all they do is incorporate or all they do is get the EIN or even less sometimes. 
they're really out to sell you a website or sell you something else. And so it's important that we take this process and we guarantee from day one that you will get your 501c3, not only submitted to the IRS, but even if they come back with additional questions, that it will get approved. And we have a 200% IRS approval guarantee. Now, the way we're able to do that is we just don't get rejections uh, because we vet every mission on the front end. And we know that these are exempt by uh, IRS standards. And so if they do kind of pull you aside for the additional TSA inspection, we know what they're going to ask and why, and we're able to help navigate through that process. So we, we help right through to the end. And I just recently reviewed, I won't name the company. We don't beat up other companies to elevate ourselves. But I had a customer coming over from another major company we've all heard of. And I asked him, would you mind fire if we fire up a Zoom and cover you know, what, what the process has been like? And I can understand where you're at. And I did see that it was like crawling over broken glass, not much easier than just going straight to the IRS website or you know, to the state uh, incorporation website and trying to figure it out on your own. So that's really important that we hold the hand of, of the customer because you should be in, and our average customer is in and out in about 30 minutes. The majority of nonprofits are small. We take them through a streamlined application process that when I, when I say small, like not big budget, uh, it's the little league, it's the PTA, et cetera. And then of course we have large nonprofits that are on the scale of charity water, or, you know, they're doing a global project and that's a little bit larger process. Even in that case, we take from what the IRS calls a 20 plus hour process down to about 90 minutes to two hours of work on the client's part. And then we do the rest because it's really important. Our mission as a company is to let you focus on your mission by, because only you can bring that unique perspective that you've had and that experience that you've had in working with the kids or the animals or cleaning up the environment in this new innovative way, whatever it is, that's what you should be focused on. Not a process that you're only going to have to do once. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you, you kind of alluded to a couple of things that maybe people don't realize, right? Because there, there is a big difference between just, just getting that EIN set up and, you know, maybe getting a name approved or whatever, but there's, you know, you've got to have your, I mean, you're the expert, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you've essentially got to have your mission statement. You got to have all these kinds of things, like what you're going to be doing, what, how the organization is going to operate. You know, it's just like setting up a business. You're going to create articles of incorporation or operating agreements or whatever the same way that you would with a for-profit business. And that's very different than just incorporating. That's right. The reason it's different is, for example, a nonprofit has to, if a nonprofit dissolves, right, does not continue to do business, then it needs to wind up its affairs in a certain way because the assets, the, the whether it's office chairs or money in the bank, or whatever, cannot just go to someone, right? It doesn't just get split up with shareholders. There are no shareholders. This is a board-run organization. The board is the governing authority, and it's a non-stock corporation. So those assets need to be, when, when the organization is dissolved, the assets need to be either donated to the government or, my preference, to another 501c3. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I just think that there are little things that people don't really think about, and it sounds like you know the, the lawyers and these other competitors of yours are not are not dotting all of those I's or crossing all of those T's with 
with the people who are setting these up. Yeah, if you if you leave, you know, if you invite people to an obstacle course, you have to guide them through the obstacle course. You can't leave them stuck on the wall or the ropes or or whatever. Um, and in fact, if you can climb the rope for them, I mean, why not? Because th- th- this is a vehicle, and you don't need to know how to build the vehicle to make use of it. You just need the keys and some and, and someone to help you drive the thing. And so we look at a nonprofit as a vehicle to change, a vehicle to um, transform the world, kind of bring your purpose to life. And that vehicle can can be handed to you. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be handed to you in parts, or you don't have to put it together yourself. And you really shouldn't have to, because again, this is only something that we're going to do once or twice in our life. It's what comes out of it that's so beautiful. Yeah. No, I think that's a good analogy. I mean, the obstacle course or the car, right? I mean, with with the car, you don't want to build the car. You just want to drive it. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what your ultimate vision is for instant nonprofit. I mean, what is it that you ultimately want to accomplish with this over the, the remaining years that you're going to be doing it? What we want to accomplish is to help tens of thousands, uh, maybe even hundreds, right? If we have 70,000 per year, over the years, we would like to bend the arc of history. We're out to bend the, the arc of history by not only providing an easier path to start 501s, but by helping to actualize better standards, better best practices, uh, tactics, and strategy in who you see yourself as, as a person, right? To operate better as a person and see yourself maybe as big as you can um, from the meta perspective, because it's just like in our business, if we have to get through limiting beliefs and things like that to even scale a business to a certain point. Um, and then all the way, that's the strategic and all, again, almost the spiritual high up on the ascension ladder. And then you want to give very, we give very practical and tactical solutions as well. So that when somebody wants to change a board member, for example, we spell that out for them. We have basically gone through with, with thousands of customers now, every possible speed bump that they could run into, we tamp down that speed bump. So if people ask us a lot of questions about how to change board members, we've got a document for that. We've got a board resolutions. And our packages come with not only do we file everything for our customers, but we also have how to run a board meeting in 30 minutes or less, how to raise money immediately without waiting for the IRS letter to arrive. Because a little known fact is that the IRS is going to backdate your tax exempt status to the date that you were incorporated. So what that means is once you're incorporated, if we, which we do, provide you a memo that quotes the IRS's specific language around that, that they're going to backdate, that is more than enough permission for nearly every individual and most small corporations to go ahead and provide that funding now. And just they'll understand because the memo says that you're going to follow up and give them that IRS approval letter later on, but that they will be guaranteed to get that tax deduction on day one. This is extremely important to get people started. Yeah, I think there's a couple of important things you mentioned there. I mean, really, the the most important is that you guys aren't just there to help them get through the IRS setup, but you're also there to help them run the the organization after the fact. I mean, you mentioned the board meetings, how to run the board meetings, how to raise money, how to change a board member. Those are important things that people who set up nonprofits don't necessarily know how to do after they set it up. All they want to do is do some good in the world for something that they're passionate about. 
but they may not know how legally to go through those different steps once it's up and running. Exactly, exactly. And so as we've grown, and this is a business evolution issue too that you, you asked about earlier, what we were dealing with as a company when we had 500 customers, and say if you just imagine 1% of them needs after, you know, after the IRS approval and everything, 1% needs support or just have a question. That's, what is that? Five a week, right? 1% a week. Well, what if it's 4,000 charities and 1% a week has that random question, right? So we've actually, our success, we started to realize our success was getting in the way of our, our further growth. And as you well know, and I'm sure you've counseled people and you've experienced in your own life, what you do to get your first 50 customers is very different from the next 500 and 5,000 and so on, even from a marketing perspective. Things that scale initially or scale to where you want to get to this year will not work in five years. And so we've learned the hard way, some of these things, having to put policies because we're a very giving organization. We want to give lots of help and support. At a certain point, you have to put some policies in place and have, uh, you know, have people pay a little bit additional for support. Uh, we had to create an annual maintenance program because we found that our customers, um, of course, weren't catching the filings and, and they're relatively few, but they're, they're not easy, just like this entire process. They say, you've heard the term simple, but not easy. So we have an annual maintenance program we call autopilot, where we help people make sure that they don't miss a filing. So again, they can stay focused on their mission. We can stay focused on their paperwork. I think it's a very needed service that you guys offer. And, and obviously I hope that, you know, the word gets out there and It'd be awesome if all 70,000, you know, nonprofits that are set up every year are being set up by instant nonprofit. But regardless, there are plenty out there that can, that can definitely use your help. So one of the things that I wanted to just kind of mention, um, not really a, a ton to unpack about this, but, you know, Landon and I in our business in working with business owners, we talk to them a lot about having something in their life that they're passionate about besides their business. Right. And oh, usually yeah. we're talking about them, you know, getting ready to sell the business or retire or do something like that. And understanding that, okay, you you may be financially ready to cross that threshold. That's awesome. But are you emotionally ready to cross that threshold? And sometimes it's a nonprofit or something that they're passionate about. They don't have to start their own, but they they should have something that they want to replace with their replace their time with after they cross that threshold. Right. And they don't have to wait till retirement, but we, you know, we talked to them about that and how important that is, which that's just kind of an, a, a side note, but let's think about the people who w are passionate about something today. Maybe they're in their thirties. Maybe they want to do something today that, that is important in this world and they're not looking to get, you know, wealthy necessarily, but they would like to get paid and make a living starting a nonprofit or, you know, working inside of a nonprofit. So talk to us a little bit about that, because I don't think people realize that there are ways to do that. I mean, some of the most, how do I put this, the most competent executives that I know are running nonprofits. So there, there are ways to make a living in the nonprofit world. So talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. There are a few issues that we covered here. One would, I would say would be succession planning, right? Somebody who is 
up there in, in success, in business, in, in their lives, right? They're, they're maybe our age. Um, and they're, they're thinking about, okay, well, what comes after this, you know, and, and they're not done yet, but they, they want to have something to go to. And studies show that if you don't have something engaging for yourself and something that is, is life-giving and, and purposeful, uh, people get sick and, and people pass away uh, after retiring if they feel like their identity has been stripped because they just don't know what to do with themselves. And they were really adding value to the world through their business. So there are a number, and then we go all the way to the other end of, of the spectrum where, like you said, the 20, the 30 year old who's starting a startup, right. Can think about doing some of these things and, and maybe even what they're doing can be a nonprofit. So let me address the first, uh, the, the first one we talked about first. For succession planning, for successful business owners, entrepreneurs, et cetera, there, there are easy ways to sort of ease into the, the nonprofit process, right? You, you start the entity. Of course, you can do that on your own. We can certainly make that a lot easier. And then you can just set that up alongside of your for-profit. Uh, you can even set it up so that you know family members, uh, people that want to contribute to it can help run the thing can get paid. And it all comes down to a simple conflict of interest policy that we provide. All that the, all that the IRS and, and Congress in, in formulating the 501c3, uh, all they want to do is make sure that it's not abused so that it unduly enriches someone. That's called inure benefit in the legal sense. And I've never seen anyone uh, of our customers unduly getting rich or enduring benefit. Uh, this is a self-policing sector. There's nobody looking over your shoulders or looking into your books once you get started. They just set up some basic ground rules so that you can do these things. And that includes the provisions in our conflict of interest policy. So say you have Tycoon's Roofing and you want to start Tycoon's Roofing Foundation. Even You can even name it very similarly. You go to the silent auctions. You start showing up at these community events and you start giving in the name of this foundation that you set up in order to control that giving and have an avenue for it, right? You're getting the tax deduction by putting the money into the foundation. Then the foundation maybe has a webpage where people can apply for a grant or apply to get some support from the organization. And so it can actually restore your ability to go to church or walk down the street or go to the coffee shop and be able to tell those wonderful people that you meet that you do support hey, you know, that sounds like a great cause. You know I support things in this community. Why don't you hop over to my webpage and you can, you can let us know what you're doing and we can see if we can support it. So it can help restore some of that separation in your life. And it can also be a very simple way to, even if you don't have your own programs, you can support other efforts. You can support the, the battered women's shelter, the dog rescue, et cetera, in a very controlled way, in a, in a way that doesn't add to your burdens, but adds to the meaning in your life. Eventually, you can use it in wealth planning because st statistics show that uh, successful entrepreneurs, and I mean, Americans just give immensely, no compulsion at all. They voluntarily give. Our country gives more than every other nation in the world combined every year. So for all the bad stuff sometimes that the news, you know, loves to lead with, um, there's an incredible level of generosity in America. And sometimes it makes sense as a business owner to move that into your foundation, whether that's like a family foundation type thing, or if you do have programs uh, of your own, either way, that's a great way to segue into that. 
that also, again, can provide some of that purpose if you are exiting and you're getting people in control of the day-to-day of your business so that you can back out of that. It's a great way to still stay involved in the community and still build and and put a halo even on your for-profit company by giving in the name of a similarly named nonprofit. And either way, you're the business owner, you're seen as a good steward of your resources and somebody who wants to help the community. So there's lots of things we could talk about with wealth planning and succession planning because of the tax deductibility that the nonprofit 501c3 offers. All the way on the other end of the spectrum, I used to fly around the country with a caveman era laptop and a briefcase and a cheap polyester suit. I was young and I'd freeze in that thing in Michigan. And I'd, I'd fly around the country and I'd meet perfect strangers who were 50, 60, 70, even years old. And they had started a farm implement company in Iowa, for example. And they had the, 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 the wife had the Cadillac, the kids had college paid for, the grandkids were okay. And then they started saying, well, what's my legacy going to be here? That is a very different story from what we see today, where millennials, young 20 and 30-somethings who are starting, are starting for-profits are starting to think about what social good am I going to attach this economic engine to, to, to make things happen? So that's another type of, of nonprofit where people are starting with the social purpose in, in, in mind to begin with. A lot of people are starting companies specifically to serve a social enterprise and to feed into either their own or other nonprofits. So that's another way. People are thinking much earlier in the business life cycle about what kind of legacy they're going to live or how they're going to make things better in this world. They feel empowered to make a difference and they're being presented all the time, especially in the last couple of years, with whether it's mental health, teen suicide, ways that uh, emerging needs that are being, uh, that need to be addressed, that they feel they can address and, and feel empowered to, empowered to address way earlier in their lives. And then the third category, many things just fit the nonprofit purpose from the beginning. From the beginning. We have therapists coming to us who are turning their practices or starting their practices as nonprofits. And why is that? Because the nonprofit cannot be sold, right? So if you're building something that you're not necessarily going to sell for, you know, with the, with the goodwill inside it for a big profit based on three, four X revenues or whatever the formula is. But if you're a therapist and you're a Joe Fenway is your name and you are a, you know, MFT or whatever the designation is, your name is pretty much the value of the practice. So you can start a nonprofit therapy practice and serve the community through that. You can take sliding scale patients, which all therapists do. You can do a lot of different things through that nonprofit practice and not be taxed on your profits every year at the corporate level. So there are some things where the business itself, the idea itself that you're going to uh, germinate and, and grow inside that entity is, in fact, fits inside the IRS's exempt activities definition. Yeah, no, I think a great summary of the different the different options. You know, obviously, it, it's way more common the business owner who's getting closer to exit. But like you said, nowadays there are more and more. You know, everybody likes to put the the label millennials out there, but you know, that, that age, 20 to 30, 20s and 30s that are way more interested in giving back right from the get-go rather than waiting until they've built something. And then obviously just somebody who 
wants to to start something from the get-go and maybe there's a reason to be nonprofit from from the very beginning. Yeah. And some people just inherit things. Uh, you're a little league coach. You've been doing this for years. And instead of putting out, instead of cobbling some money together, uh, and now with Venmo reporting to 1099s uh, through, through Venmo, if you send more than $600 to your friends for dinner, I don't know how that's going to work. But a lot of those private ways of raising money just to put the uniforms on kids' backs, people decide, okay, well, these these kids need uh, this wrestling team needs new mats. That's one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. We need a five hundred one c three because there are people who will only give to to that if it's got that status. There's a halo effect. There's sort of um, a purpose. People are more confident in the purpose if you have five hundred one c three. They feel like it's been vetted through a process, and of course, they do get that tax deduction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I applaud you for what you're doing. I think that, you know, it's helped. Obviously, nonprofits do a lot of good. Like you said, for purpose is, is the way that you like to refer to them. They do a lot of good in this world. What you're doing in your business to help them have an easier time getting set up, I think, is a very valuable service. And I appreciate what you do. And I've appreciated the conversation today. I really think that there's some some good nuggets of wisdom for anybody in any sector that they can, that they can glean from what, uh, what we discussed here today. So I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate it as well. Super fun to talk about all of this. Yeah. So just, I'll, I'll turn it over to you for the last 30 seconds or so to just kind of put the website out there again, anything, any way that you'd like people to get in touch with you either personally or, or the business. And then we'll, we'll close from there. That's easy. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Christian Lefer. Easiest way is to just go to instantnonprofit.com slash tycoons. You can book a call, you can get a free strategy session, or you can sign up for our free boot camp, which will tell you everything you need to know to be ready to start a nonprofit. What are the things that you need to know? I really encourage everyone who is, is in business um, and, and even thinking about something like this to Take care of yourself, put your own oxygen mask on first. We are in a pressure cooker today. And what I'm finding is that people who get things done and are passionate uh, can experience a lot of burnout right now. And I've just found with this, with this company and in this business, I had to really learn to put my own oxygen mask on first and that I'm infinitely more helpful to others if I can do that. And so those of us who are empaths know what it's like to get burnt out serving the needs of everybody else. So I just encourage everybody to find that balance. And then when you're ready, have that conversation. Think about what you can do to make a difference and you can increment into that as easily as you'd like. This can be as hard or as easy as, as you want it to be. Um, you don't need to jump in with both feet and be working full-time. But if you do want to pull a, a W-2 and work full-time in your passion, there's a path to that. And we help a lot of customers do that as well. We set up payroll. We even do public student loan forgiveness programs, because if you work for a nonprofit 30 hours a week or more, you qualify for federal public student loan forgiveness. So there are a lot of reasons that you can start a nonprofit, but it really starts with that heart and that passion to help other people. So if this has been interesting to you, I just thank you for being one of those people that I view as the greatest people in the world. Well said, Christian. Really appreciate the conversation and, and your willingness to come on the program today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. 
Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.